am a lover of Calvin and Hobbes. They have a warped sense of humor. I love it. In the comic trip, Calvin, comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin's boss catches him sitting at his desk, staring out the window. And the boss says, why aren't you working, Calvin? And without thinking at all, Calvin responds, because I didn't see you coming. (laughs) I'm amazed. (laughs) Some like it more than I do. So I'm amazed at how many people are informed, more informed about what happens on The View or Ellen or on SportsCenter than they know what's really going on in our world. It's incredible to me how asleep some people are to the issues of life. I'm even more amazed and disturbed by how many Christian people are more informed about what is happening in the world than they are about what God is doing, what God wants from them to do in their life in the world. Some Christians are asleep to both the ways and the plans of God. This morning, I hope we will come alert to God, his ways, and his plans. My prayer is that none of us will ever have to say to God, I didn't see you coming. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles, in the Pew Bible, if you wish, page 981 to Matthew 24, and follow along as we unpack the scripture of Matthew 24 together. We plan to get through the first 14 verses, some of which we covered last week. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said. And here Jesus is asked two questions. Verse 3, part A. When will this happen? And the second part of that verse, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus responds to them, but not directly nor specifically to the questions they ask. Instead, he begins by telling them his greatest concerns for them and for all those who would later become his followers, including us today who call ourselves Christian. Let's look briefly at Jesus' primary concerns and revisit them from last week. In verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. Don't let anyone distract you away from me as your Lord. You are easily distracted. Some of us are more easily distracted than others, but let's face it, all of us are able to be distracted distracted. Jesus continues, verse 5, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. That is, don't let alarm distract us from him as our Lord. And in other words, he says, don't panic. He is still Lord. 
even though it looks like a mess. Don't panic. Jesus continues the last half of verse 6. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Prior to the end, the birth pains will increase in intensity. They will be more painful. Prior to his coming and the end, the birth pains will increase in frequency. They will come more often. This is where we were last week when we ended. Pray with me as we continue on. Father, may the words of my mouth be your words, Lord. And may my friends hear what you have for them, no matter what I say. May Jesus Christ, our Lord, be honored by what you accomplish here for his sake and for ours. In his name I pray, amen. Today we begin to look at Jesus' response that says, here's what's going to happen to Christians personally. It's been general for now, though specifically he's saying, don't be distracted, don't panic, these are just birth pains. Now he's going to get specific about what's going to take place in the lives of Christians on earth before the end. Verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Can you imagine that the disciples, as they heard Jesus say these words, began to kind of lean back a little bit? This is getting very personal. Jesus says, you will be persecuted because of me. People will suffer for being followers of Jesus Christ. According to the World Watch List, 215 million Christians experience high levels of persecution on a daily basis today. 215 million. According to M16, Britain's intelligence service, quote, more than 200 million people in over 60 nations are being denied their basic human rights for one reason only. They are Christians, end quote. You will be persecuted because of me, Jesus said. He also said, you'll be put to death because of me. People will be martyred for being followers of Jesus Christ. A quote from the Catholic News Service, Christian historian and demographer Todd Johnson estimated that 70 million Christians have been killed over the centuries, with most of those deaths occurring since 1900. End of quote. Todd Johnson is from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and the Center for the Study of Global Christianity founded by the Lausanne Movement. During 2018, the World Watch List reported that 3,066 Christians were martyred, and these are the ones that were documented, evidence that proves they were martyred because of their faith. The assumption is that the real number of martyrs would be much higher. There are many other agencies that give numbers, but they're all estimates. Some say that nearly 100,000 Christians are martyred every year, but it's undocumented. Jesus says, you'll be persecuted because of me. You'll be put to death because of me. He says, you will be hated because of me. During 2018, the World Watch List reported 
that 1,252 Christians were abducted, 1,020 Christians were raped or sexually harassed, and 793 Christian churches were attacked, end of quote, all documented cases. We don't experience much of that, but our world suffers from it in most places. And there are consequences of this persecution that Jesus speaks to his disciples about. Listen as we look at verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. The exodus of people in the church from the United States in general is enormous. And there's very little persecution here. The United States Census Bureau records give the following statistics. Every year, more than 4,000 churches close their doors compared to over just 1,000 new church starts. That's a decline of 3,000 per year. Every year, 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity. Given the declining numbers and closures of churches as compared to new church starts, there should have been over 38,000 new churches commissioned to keep up with the population growth. One of the reasons the covenant has chosen the starting of new churches as the way to grow the church is because of these statistics and the reality of the need to plant churches everywhere we go. The United States now ranks third, following China and India, in the number of people who are not professing Christians. In other words, the U.S. is becoming an ever-increasing unreached people group. Half of all churches in the U.S. did not add any new members in their ranks in the last two years. Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and even hate each other, Jesus says. And add to this number of churches that are in disarray because of the continuous bickering and internal battles over issues like worship and music style, the staff, theology, social justice. Is it any wonder the church has lost its power and its importance? in the life of a nation that still claims to be Christian, which it is not. Jesus continues, Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Certainly there are charlatans, there are cultic leaders, there are false teachers. But perhaps to me even more frightening are people who seek and follow other ways to be spiritual instead of or in addition to Jesus. Some people set themselves and their way as the way to real happiness, the real way to peace, the way to God, and many follow them. Jesus continues in verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Notice Jesus says most. The love of most will grow cold. Love growing cold is an incremental thing. First, I don't love my enemies. Though Jesus clearly said the opposite for his followers. Then I don't love those who fail. 
Again, direct disobedience against the teachings of our Lord. Then I don't love those who disagree with me. Again, against the teachings of Jesus himself. And then I don't love. This is a hard statement, but I believe it is true. When we stop loving, we stop being followers of Jesus. Does that mean we lose our salvation? I didn't say that. But we stop being followers when we stop loving. If we've excluded anyone from our love, we have stopped loving. And the incremental toll that takes on the life of each Christian and the church they attend is enormous. It's going to be hard. And we haven't even begun to see how hard it will be. We've been kept from it, which we are grateful for. But is it realistic? In the long run, it is not. But Jesus gives a call, and beginning in verse 13, we read this. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. We see those lines again in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. As the word is given to the seven churches of the Revelation, all of them ending with he who stands firm to the end will be saved. We see it in the Ephesians 6 where Paul is writing about the full armor of God and all these pieces that are meant to protect us. Only one is meant to do battle with, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we don't beat people with the sword of the Spirit. We reveal the truth to them with the sword of the Spirit. And all of it ends with this, so that we might stand, stand firm in what God has given to us. Stand firm to the end. Don't give up on God. And don't give in to the world's way. I don't think I am strong enough in myself to do that. I need God to do that, but I also need you. When we together stand firm, when we together stand in love, when we together stand for the ways and plans of God, there's strength. There's strength because we encourage each other. We uphold each other. When one of us is feeling a little more weak, the others can gather around and help them. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then God gives us a goal. In verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then and then the end will come. Is this not a revelation of God's heart? It's going to be tough, very tough. We need to stand. But God is giving a chance for all people to receive his love and an abundant and eternal life. Everyone needs to know the possibility. The Apostle Peter in his second letter also reveals the heart of God. He writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 Isn't that the mission given to us by Jesus? To win the lost, to help the hurting? That's our goal, that's our role, that's our mission. This is what God wants. God's gift for us is his grace. The love and forgiveness made possible by Jesus' sacrifice. 
God's call to us is faithfulness. Not just the initial faith of believing in Jesus and receiving his salvation, but the sustained faith of trusting in him for how we live every day, doing his will until the end. It's a verb, it's not a noun, salvation. And love is a verb and not a noun. Jesus promised that whoever stands firm to the end will be saved, will not be lost, will not be forgotten, will not be separated from God's love and presence. Until now, all these things that are happening and which will happen with increasing intensity and frequency are not the end. None of these bad things bring Jesus back. But these are the signs that Jesus and the birth of new life is coming to its fullness. God's heart for people's salvation takes precedence over all the trouble in the world. Hear that again. God's heart for people's salvation takes precedence over all the troubles in the world. Which is why he said, don't be distracted. Which is why he said, don't panic. Be about my business. It's our task to make God's message clear and winsome to the people we are with. If we will only go and if we will only give witness to Jesus. God so loved the world, the whole world, everyone in the world. God's heart never turns cold. God is always seeking to save lost people. God wants us to seek so he can save lost people. God wants us to live our story of being changed. God wants us to speak our story of being changed. When was the last time you told how Christ changed your life? And does your life habit, pattern, witness in public show it? Pray to God that it will and that will increase. We received God not just for ourselves. Christianity is not a consumer religion. We received him so that he might live through us for the sake of others. Who is Jesus living through you for? Who is Jesus living through you for? Can you write a name? Is there a person that Jesus is living through you for? There's more than one. There's more than five. But think of just one today. Write them on your note, if you would, or their initials. Who is Jesus living through you for? Because there's a new day coming. Let's be ready for that day. Let's help others get ready as well. This is the mission God has given us to carry out until that day. This is what God wants to do through us. Not to figure out what country is going to do what, what earthquake is really preceding this, what, what phenomenon is going to bring Jesus back. Let's be about the business of what matters to God most, the winning of lost people to him. That's the primary message of his second coming. Get people ready. 
Who is Jesus living through you to help make ready for his arrival? Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, there is such interest in things going on in the world and understandably so. Help us not to be distracted. Help us not to panic. Help us to be about the mission that you have called us to, to win the lost and help the hurting. Help us all do that. We have been set free so we can set others free from the sin that enslaves them. Help us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.